I am the light of the world. And I want to show you three very specific truths that we can walk away with from this truth claim, I am the light of the world. And in order to do that, we really have to look at the context. See, he made that statement in verse 12 of John chapter 8, right at the end of an encounter that he had with some people. So we can look at that counter and say, what circumstances brought on this setting to where he would say now, okay, now you need to hear this. I am the light of the world. In him is no darkness at all. Okay, so let's back up. Chapter 8, let's just start at verse 1. We'll do a little reading here. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. Beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me and shall not, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So you see, this encounter that he has, not just with the, a woman who was a sinner, who was caught, but he also has this encounter with those in her community, those who were witnesses, those who interact with her, not only that, but the leaders of the community. And in response to that encounter, Jesus now has the platform, the stage, the setting the audience to say, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, so let's go back and just take a quick look. Three things I want to show you. The first one is, in this encounter, God wants us to see that he wants us out of darkness. God wants us out of the darkness. I mean, darkness exists. Listen, this is a pretty clear example of where we can really find somebody who's made a mistake, right? Adultery. Um, it's true today, although it really depends on which TV station you turn into or who you listen to. But it's still true today that adultery is generally seen as unacceptable, um, in some cases frowned upon, in some cases sin. But back in that day, it was even more so, clearly, even those who did not follow the one true God, adultery was a, was a sin against the husband, 
if anything else, right? And it was, it was one of the obvious, one of the vile, one of the hated sins more so than others. So it's clearly a sin. This woman, because of the way she lived her life, and we don't know her background, do we? We don't know how she got into those circumstances. We don't know what caused her to do that. We don't know anything about her other than at some point she made a choice based on her own thinking, her own understanding that led her to violate God's holy light principles. And the truth is that all of us are born with that same propensity, that same leaning. We make decisions in life based on, at times, what we think is best, what works for us the best, in violation to, against what God reveals is good and right and true. You see, so we live in darkness. And this clearly is a woman. I mean, you can imagine the, the consequences here were pretty bad. She was about to get, you know, they were going to have a rock-throwing contest in her honor. Who can throw the farthest and hit her in the head? Right? I mean, that's literally what they were going to do. <clears throat> I don't know how you define that circumstance, but that's pretty dark to me. I could, there's no way out. I can't imagine. She was caught red-handed. And she did it because of her own choice. Sin has awful, dark consequences. And that is how we live in this dark world, making wrong decisions that lead to greater darkness in our lives. Except for this. Except for Jesus walks up to her and he wants to change her life. He does not want this woman to continue to walk in darkness, nor does he want those surrounding her to walk in darkness. You can see that. He, he, she's in adultery, and he has this encounter where we're going to talk about how he forgives her, but then he, he restores her and sends her on her way. Now go and sin no more. In other words, now go walking no longer in darkness. You, you don't have to live under that sh- shroud and cover of sin. So clearly he was interested in clearing up her life and bringing her out of the darkness. But I want to show you something else. Sometimes we don't catch this. There's this encounter that he has where, you know, he stoops down on the ground and and he draws with his finger in the sand. And I don't know how many commentaries and books and speakers have debated about what he's drawing in the sand. It doesn't say, I don't really know. Sorry, it doesn't matter. The point is, he acted like he really wasn't listening. He wasn't really paying attention. Right? He's doodling. He's doing something. I don't know. Maybe he's writing a message in the sand for them to read. We, we don't really know that. But we know that he's clearly, this is not a time where Jesus is up in somebody's face saying, you are wrong and this is right. This is a time where he is quietly leading them in discovery. Right? He wants them out of the darkness. He wants to draw them out so that they can know what is light. And it's funny because they have this, like, okay, so who has not sinned here? Let's find the guy who has never sinned. He gets to throw the first stone and show us how it's done. Obviously, if I'm in that crowd, if you're in that crowd, if we're honest, there's been a time where I have violated God's law as well. So the point is, the discovery is, I've sinned against God's law. What right do I have to condemn somebody else who sinned against God's law? Right? And then, by the way, if you're a sinner too, how would you want people treating you? Jesus is leading them through this thought process, through this evaluation. Listen, none of us escape the darkness. 
And he's saying, because you don't escape the darkness, you're there too. And what I want to do in this woman's life, the light of the world says, is bring her out of the light and into darkness. And by the way, the way you respond to people around you and how you treat those people in your life can also be brought out of darkness and into the light. You see, you're condemning her. Your response is critical, unloving, not full of grace and mercy. But Jesus wants them to know that's darkness too. Being critical of other people is darkness. You know, it's ne- I'm just going to tell you right now. You start judging people, it doesn't matter what they've done. You start judging them, I'm telling you right now, it's going to end in some sort of death in your life. Maybe not a physical death, but the death of something good. It is darkness. You and I, when we're critical of other people, unloving, not extending grace, listen to me, when we're not extending grace, but quick to find faults with other people and condemn them for their faults, that creates an atmosphere of darkness. And you know what happens in darkness? Nothing grows. Even the flowers begin to shrivel. That which is beautiful, that which is good, that which is glorious begins to diminish. You see, I think this is such a tender moment. Jesus is really revealing much more than just simply a woman caught in adultery can be forgiven. He's teaching us how to live in the light. How to be light. Why? Because he wants us out of darkness. Every time we read about light in the New Testament, it is in contrast to darkness. Right? Light and darkness. Uh, just, just a couple of verses. If you, if you were to continue, you know, he said in verse 12, um, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light. You see the contrast? You, you don't have the darkness, now you can walk in the light. You can't do both. There's the contrast. If you keep reading in John, turn over to chapter 12 very quickly. Verse 35 He says, Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. While you have the light, walk, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. You see see what he's saying? He's saying, I am the light. I've already told you that. Now, a little while longer, I'm going to leave. But while you have me, learn to walk in the light. Why? Why would we learn to walk in the light? So that you don't do the opposite, which is walk in the darkness. Light is always revealed in contrast to the darkness. I'm going I'm to make the application in just a moment, so stay with me. One more verse. Same chapter. Turn over to verse 46. Verse four, he's still talking. I have come as a light into the world. I think Jesus might think this is a pretty big idea here. Pretty big concept. That whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. I am the light, he said. I have come as light. Why? So that whoever believes in me, respond to the light, shall not abide, remain, stay in darkness. There again is the contrast. I don't want you to live in darkness, God says. The problem many of us have today is, I'm just curious if you know Jesus Christ. You're here today and you say, I, I, I know he is the light of the world. I've, I've read that. I've heard his claim. And not only that, I've chosen to believe. I've responded. I've said, if that's light, I don't want darkness. I'm going Jesus' way. I'm wondering if, if, if anyone in that place in life 
find that when you wake up and start living your life and you got to navigate your marriage, which might be tricky at times, finances, all the stuff in life that happens and just the way world comes pressing in. I wonder if anybody else finds themselves looking for the gray areas. You know what gray is? It's a mixture of white and black. Gray is the in the middle ground between light and dark. Gray is that area where once we've known the light and tasted the light and seen that it's good, sometimes we're still attracted or sometimes we're still drawn to the darkness for a variety of reasons. And we make choices that are more like darkness than light, even though we've been given light. And so the church today has become masterful at creating, Jesus called it lukewarm, by the way, at creating the gray areas. I want to have one foot in the light and still be able to keep one foot in the darkness. I want to still be a follower of Jesus Christ and enjoy the benefits of everlasting life, yet I still want to enjoy the things this world has to offer which causes me sometimes to not be able to fully go into the light. You see, just because God is gracious and forgiving does not allow us to compromise that which he said is light. We don't get to redefine it. And he said, I'm coming because I don't want you to live in darkness. Hey, church, I don't want you, Jesus Christ says, to have any part of the darkness. No darkness, not an inch, not a millimeter. You don't have to have it. That's why he came and he said, I am the light of the world. I think it's a beautiful moment in Jesus' ministry where he really clarifies for us and shows us, this is what I really am saying about who I am and why. Why? Because he wants us out of the darkness. Second observation. Not only does God want us out of the darkness, God wants to heal us. God wants to heal us. Keep, keep reading the story. I'm going to focus on verse 10 and 11 in just a second. Um, in verse 8, he stooped down on the ground. That's where we left off. And, and then those who heard it being convicted of their conscience walked away one by one. You see, God's, Jesus is bringing them into the light. The oldest even to the last. And then Jesus was left alone with this woman. Watch the healing encounter. When Jesus had raised himself up in verse 10, And saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? You imagine her. She's looking around and has watched these rulers of her society and her culture. These religious leaders who have all the authority. She has watched them walk away. Um... I would say tail between their legs, head hanging, one by one. What that already begins to do in the heart of a woman who is ashamed of her sin. He creates the context in her life where he says, listen, it's between you and me now. Your sin, your darkness ultimately is an offense against God, regardless of what other people think or do or where it puts you in life. When you're just alone with the face of God and he's light, he's going to tell her, now you come out of the darkness. He says to her, she says, no one, Lord. 
And he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. I think this perhaps is one of the most profound, meaningful encounters that we are privileged to be in on. I mean, we don't get to know everything that Jesus did, right? But we get to know some of the things. This one's incredible. I want you to listen to these words for a minute. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You come to this place, I betcha. I'm just sure of it. There's some doubts in your mind about the future. I'm not sure what it is. Is everything going to work out all right in your life? What's going to really happen to me? And and maybe it's a certain situation. And somewhere in that, let's just be honest, somewhere in that doubt that you have about the future, it's tied to some experience in the past. Isn't it? Like I found that when I get to the place where I can't trust people, that's one of my sins, one of the areas that I really have to step into the light and abide in the light. I find when I'm tempted to not trust people, I want you to know this. It's because trusting people in the past has been hurtful. When I don't make myself vulnerable, even though I should, it's because I have failed previously. That, that, that doubt that shame. Some of you today have even come into this place and you put your church face on and, and you came into church and God bless you for doing that. This is exactly the right place to be. This is where we need to be this morning. I'm so grateful you're here. But listen, the truth is that nobody else knows what's really going on inside your heart. The people sitting around you don't get it. And there are accusers of yours. Accusers in the world around you that are telling you, listen, I know what you've done. You can't imagine having done what you've done to walk into that church, to walk into good grace with God and be a better person. Listen, you've done this. You've said these things before. Or we have the great accuser, the enemy of God, who constantly tries to remind us of our past, especially our failures, right? And we wear that shame like a like a cloak. We think it's protecting us as we go forward. And you come in and you say, after I've done what I've done, there's no way God can love me. There's no way God, being really good, being really full of love, if he knows what I've done in the past, could ever really accept me. And so even though you use the church lingo and, the, and you know, put on the church face deep down inside, you're anxious, uncertain, maybe even paralyzed about the future because of your shame. That's the voice of your accusers. And that voice is there all the time. But this morning I want you to listen to the voice of your Savior. The accusers say, there's no way after what you've done you could ever have a good life, ever be loved by God. The voice of the Savior says, I am the light of the world and I have come to forgive you. 
I am the light of the world. I have come to release you from all the shame, all the cloud, all the embarrassment, all the doubt that because you have sinned and you have been in darkness and you've known the depths of darkness that you could never walk completely into the light. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you anymore. You don't have to be identified, even in your own mind, by your failures and sins in the past. They don't have to form you. They don't have to direct your relationships with people. Why? Because Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world and I have brought healing. Um, By the way, this healing comes through the gospel. Let's make no mistake, okay? The healing is access. The light that comes from God's desire to take us from darkness to light and to heal us comes through the gospel. That means the specific purpose that he came for to die on the cross, having never sinned himself, as a substitute payment, judgment, for your sins. The shedding of his blood, the spilling of his own life, the shame that he did take was all your shame, and you and I have to at some point choose to embrace that. We have to accept We have to choose to believe by faith that that death on the cross, that offer to take away all of my shame, the barrier of sin, to give me all the forgiveness of God, comes through one single step, the death on the cross. That's why he says to her, come follow me. I am the source of light. You can't find it in religion. You can't find it in church. You can't find it in some Bible study. You can't find it in just the right devotional or hanging out with just the right people or all the little pithy sayings that Christians have on Facebook today. You can't find life there. It's only found in his offer for a relationship with you. And it comes through the gospel. I'm reminded in what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 3 says, but even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You see, see, the gospel is the crossing over point from darkness to light. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ whose image of God should not shine on them. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel brings healing. I just want to make that point because you know what? There, the message of the gospel of Christ is, is being drowned out today, even in the church. Come to church and be part of church and sing the right songs and do the right music. I don't know, whatever it is, you, you know. Follow the right personality, like I follow so-and-so, and I'm, I have this pastor or this personality that I, I've learned from. You know, it, it's sort of become like this, you find light through all these other sources, and, and, and the message of the gospel is kind of like, oh yeah, and by the way, Jesus died for your sins. By the way, you might want to know that there's this thing about the cross and all that stuff, but you'll get to it someday. I want you to know, because I've given my entire life 
to be a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means this, there is no healing apart from what Jesus has done on the cross for us. There is no better life, there is no light at all. We are stuck in everlasting darkness except for Jesus died on the cross so that specifically each and every sin that you've ever committed could be forgiven, atoned for, paid for. That's the good news of the gospel. All the light of the glory of God today comes through the gospel. Not only receiving the gospel, but living in the gospel. He doesn't want us to live in darkness. He wants to heal us. There's one more point I want to show you. He also wants to give us a better life. This is a bad, angry, unfair God, isn't it, that we serve? I don't know what, you know, atheists today, I've watched some of those debates, uh, especially on on the news, you know, when they get a, a Christian apologetic expert and a self-proclaimed atheists on the panel and they let them debate back and forth. And there, there's a whole movement of people today that are so dead set against believing in God or, or having any sort of reality of life that acknowledges the existence of God, right? That's, that's more and more the world we live in. I don't get them. I really don't. Like, I'm, I guess I'm simple-minded. Okay. I know that I screw things up doesn't take me long to figure that out. And, and my sins always cause problems. He came and offered me absolute free forgiveness of all my sins, and I didn't have to die on the cross for it. He did. He was the only one qualified to do it, and yet, being God Almighty, he said, I will take it for you. And by the way, as a result... You can be forgiven of all those sins, be restored back into a relationship with the light, God, and oh yeah, by the way, have a way better life. I'm just wondering, what's, what's the problem? Why wouldn't you want to respond to a God who does that? Who makes the legalism fall away? Who takes criticism of one another and brings it into light and shows that it should dissolve and be nothing because it was darkness all along? To take shame and failure and give us a new identity. This is all that Jesus is showing when he says this statement, I am the light of the world. I have come to bring healing. Get all that bacteria and put it under the light. And watch what happens. All that darkness and confusion and bring it into the light of Jesus Christ and watch how things clear up. All the hopelessness of the world and bring it into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and watch meaning and purpose and hope come flooding in. That's a good God. He wants us to have a better life. There's a picture that I want to remind you of We talked about it before. It's the picture of the tabernacle. You remember I told you, Jesus is doing two things here with these I am statements. He's claiming his deity, he is God, and he's also fulfilling Old Testament truth revelations about who God is. We don't always understand those as Gentile Christian believers, 
But there is a direct reference when he said, I am the bread of life to the show bread in the tabernacle. There is also a direct reference because of where they're at. They're at the temple, and it's temple time. It's feast time. These are things that are, that are heightened in awareness among the Jewish people. I am the light of the world is very, very similar to the lampstand that lights up the ways of God in the tabernacle. There's a golden lampstand in this thing called the tabernacle. Now, let me just review it real quickly because I want you to see the meaning, the real impact of what Jesus is saying here, okay? Are you there? Okay. All right. I'm going to do it anyway, so. Here's the tabernacle. It's this tent structure that God has told his people to put up when they're wandering in the desert. In this um, portable place of worship, there are barriers and there are steps to go through. And as you progress through each step in the tabernacle, you get closer and closer to a very, very secluded, holy place. We call it in the temple the Holy of Holies the place where the, the, the seat, the Ark of the Covenant, would sit. And literally, in this time, the manifested glory of God, what does that look like? Man, I have no idea. The Shekinah, it's called in the Old Testament. God literally, in a presence that is God, showed up and rested on that seat. In other words, he was saying, I'm going to teach you to come close to me. I'm going to let you come in and see who I really am. Now, remember, who is he doing this for? He's doing this for the children of Israel. Where is it at? It's in the wilderness. Where did the wilderness come from? It came from an escape from Egypt that was based on a sacrificed lamb and the blood of the lamb being put on the doorpost to give them freedom from death, Passover. God delivers them from their bondage of sin and takes them out to be his own people. And on the journey of teaching them how to be his own people, he builds this tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, they go from sacrifice at the altar to the laver where there's cleansing, and then they walk into this place called the holy place. Now you're getting closer and closer to God, and the holy place is like entering into the presence of God. The interesting thing about the holy place in this tent is it was built to keep out all forms of artificial light. So the tents overlapped. You walk into the tabernacle and even though it might have been the light of day out in the desert wilderness, when you walk in, it would otherwise be pitch black. See, God's teaching his people. You don't understand who I am. Watch this based on any source of false light and false revelation. You don't understand I am by comparing me to anything on the outside. I am that I am. And so inside this tabernacle, there was only one source of light that showed them what was going on and how to interact with God in a very real sense, and it was called the lampstand. And the lampstand had seven bowls, and they were filled with olive oil, and it was lit And because of the lampstand, illumination was there. You you knew where your bearings were, where to walk, where to go, how to proceed for the high priest to the Holy of Holies, how to fuel the incense that was burning, 
how to eat, take of the bread and replace it that was in. Gosh, I hope you guys see this. I don't know. I, I'm not like you. I can't just sit there with a dead face and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Watch. God's trying to show them. I will give you light. I will illuminate what is good in your life, and it will be done so without any mixture, any source of false light coming in. You don't have to. Our religion, our faith, isn't based on any uh, tradition, any ways of man, any figuring out of ourself or history or anything else. It is absolutely, purely, as if it was pitch black, and all of a sudden the light of God's glory shone and said, here's who I am. I don't even want to be compared to that false light out there. But notice where he does it. He does it inside this place called the holy place where he invited man to interact with who he was. God is so interested in us having a better life. He wants us to know the joy of walking in peace in the real light, even though there isn't any in this world. Real light. He wants us to be able to define very clearly what is the world say this is good, which pales in comparison to when God says, this is what I say is good. It illuminates. It helps us to see. It gives us the relationship with the holy God of the universe. I want to point to one more thing. Not only did Jesus come to provide that for us because he desires that for us, but he also helps us along the way. It just gets better. Who could have a problem with this message? I don't know. You're crazy. I'll give you healing. I have a better life for you. And by the way, Verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, by the way, you can keep following me. You can stay in the light. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. How are you doing at following Jesus today? You see, he's the only source of light. That's why he came. And he says to us, if you will continue to go with me in your life, I will be the light. You will be in the light. You can't just take an experience that you had with me into life and expect that to be the light of life. You can't just claim that because you have the little fish bumper sticker on the back of your car and, and one day you profess Christ that you will continue to walk in the light. He says, you've got to follow me. And I want you to follow me. He gives us his word, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the church. He gives us so many ways to learn where he is and, and what he's doing and through prayer to, to have an experience and an ongoing relationship so we know today how to follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus today. It's a better life. Sometimes we get confused. We have trouble following Jesus. Let me ask you just a few questions and we'll close in prayer. This is evaluation for us. When we think we're following Jesus, but we're really not. We have trouble following Jesus when in reality we're expecting Jesus to follow us. Hello. <laughs> I'm following you, Jesus. Come on. I'm going to take you into this dark place over here because I need light. 
You know, he says, I'm the light. You follow me with your life. Follow Jesus with your life. Don't live your life trailing, tugging, towing Jesus along with you. We have trouble following Jesus when we try to work for him instead instead of him working in us. We have trouble following him when we're trying to work through good works of our own, whatever, instead of just letting him work through us. Did you know that God, the better life involves Jesus working through you? You don't have to figure out what to do for him. What you have to do is figure out how to abide in him. And then he works in your life and through your life. We have trouble following Jesus when we imitate other people instead of letting him transform who we are. This is good stuff. You ought to write this down. We have trouble following Jesus when we're constantly trying to imitate other people instead of, you know what, he needs to change who I am. Let him transform who I am. See, that's following him. He'll do that in our lives. And finally, we have trouble following Jesus. Watch this one. When we respond to what we think rather than what he reveals. When we respond to what we think, now listen, I'm telling you right now, this is all of us. We have trouble following Jesus here. I think this. I know this. It makes sense. I feel this. I'm, I'm being drawn to this. It's right because I know it's right. Instead of God saying, this is my way. Walk in it. You see, we have to constantly take what we feel and what we think and we have to put it on the altar. We have to sacrifice it. We have to burn it up. And we have to open up our heart, open up our soul, our life to the Word of God and through prayer, the Spirit of God. What is it, God, that you say? And I promise you this, follower of Jesus, if you put your own thinking aside, and you ask the Lord Jesus to show you his way, he will. Why do you know that's true? How do I know? Because he said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. I'm grateful to Jesus. Not only that he made that statement, but it's true. He is the light of life. And he does want for us to be out of darkness. And he does want complete healing in our lives. And he does want for us to have a better life now through eternity. That's why he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good to us, each one of us. Thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the light of all who you are that is good, that is better, that takes us from darkness and shame comes through your sacrificial death on the cross, Lord Jesus. 
And it might be that as you're praying here today, you recognize that's a new revelation for you. That's new to you. I've never really trusted in that for light. Maybe you need to do that right here, right now. Would you pray? Would you just surrender your life to Jesus Christ and accept God's offer of forgiveness by grace into your life? I am a sinner, God. And it's because of my sin that I can't get to you. And I need a Savior. This morning, I desperately cling to you, Jesus, because you paid the price for my sins, the penalty. And I believe and I accept your forgiveness. And take us as we follow you, Lord, and help us to abide in the light and stay in the light. We look for a better life. I'm praying right now for the one who has come into this place and you've come in with shame and guilt over something you've done. Would you just take a moment? Listen to the voice of the Savior, not your accusers. He says, come to me. I'm the light of the world. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. God, thank you for releasing us from our past failures, bringing us to a new place that is good and fresh and full of hope and newness. Help us to walk in it and to know this better life. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.